Is it ever right to juice? I don't know. Let me know in the comments. Let me know in the chat. I can't lose to RFK. There's money to be made here. Not for us, but for a campaign for freedom of speech. A campaign for RFK. Let us know what you think about RFK. Anyway, we, we'll get into that in more depth off YouTube because he's been banned again from YouTube. And we love our 6.4 million Awakening Wonders over there. We're confused as how that number has frozen. Shadow banned? Shadow banned much, did they? Hmm... Didn't they? What's the name? Hmm? Haven't it? So listen, what about them hawks in Congress saying the Prigozhin Rebellion should mean more Ukraine aid? I think anything that happens, they'll say that should mean more Ukraine aid. And if you are Ukrainian, I love you. And your country should not be torn apart by war. And the failure of this counter-offensive, I think, lays solely at the feet of NATO and the American military-industrial complex. Let me know in the comments if you agree with that. But why? How are they justifying the Prigozhin Rebellion leading to more Ukraine aid? Because either way, it's going to lead to more military aid, isn't it? If this had been... I mean, obviously, the media have said this was a huge success, this destabilised Russia, this embarrassed Putin. This is why we need to keep going in the manner that we have done. Even though, as we've talked about with our NATO and Jeffrey Sachs this week, the, the counter-offensive has not been successful. It's been losing a 1,000 Ukrainian lives a day. It's been a bloodbath, as reported in some sections of the news, even though in the media they'll report things very differently. Look how they reported it straight away, just like, this is literally an hour after that coup, and it wasn't plain or clear at all how it should be analysed, or what, if any, conclusions could be drawn from it. Russia looks increasingly medieval after the coup that wasn't. We've got a fantastic story for you later in the week that it describes how many of the lockdown measures literally leaned into medieval science, which is oxymoronic. He didn't have science in the medieval times. Putin's weaknesses laid bare, as well as his lovely chest, after 24 hours of rebellion in Russia. Well, that sounds like a sort of good name for a tour. Bizarre and chaotic 36 hours in Russia feels like the beginning of the end for Putin. So there's the media utilising that as event to convey a story that is possibly dubious that it uh, is a demonstration of Putin's instability and infallibility, or fallibility, excuse me, and the military-industrial complex, you know, and their allies in the media immediately reach the conclusion the best thing to do here, the best thing to do is to send a bunch of weapons to mm, Ukraine, Mexico, who knows where they'll end up, 70% of them can't be tracked, another audit failed by the Pentagon, they're people that need another 6.8 billion in expenditure, aren't they? Yeah. It's not the beginning of the end for the arms industry, isn't it? So, like, three arms industry lobbyists have told Politico, mainstream news, that they believe the Prigozhin uprising will help Hawks argue for a supplemental spending package for the Pentagon and Ukraine. We already know that with the deal that they did with the debt ceiling, that emergency funding was not affected by the debt ceiling deal that they did, and that this $113 billion that's already been spent on the war can just continue. Are you sickened by this? Let me know in the chat. I'm bloody well sickened by it. I've had just about enough. The, yeah, they've told Politico, have they, that they're going to use this for yet more dollars. Let me know how you feel about that. Next story is your friend of mine, Nancy Pelosi. Her husband's just snapped up $2.6 million of Apple and Microsoft stock. Now, I know there are literal apps that allow you to emulate Pelosi's stock trading. Seems like it's potentially a bloody good idea. It's a good way to beat the market, follow the Pelosi's. Yeah, they've done very well. Yeah, so this is like 50 call options that Paul Pelosi has exercised, uh, which he, uh, he purchased in May 2022, and has now exercised those. He's kind of cashing in on those options. Oh, yeah. And since he's done that, obviously, can you imagine they've climbed 33% uh, in Apple shares and 29% in Microsoft shares? So that's another few bi uh, millions to add to the Pelosi's uh,
Nancy Pelosi. Her husband's just snapped up $2.6 million of Apple and Microsoft stock. Now, I know there are literal apps that allow you to emulate Pelosi's stock trading. Seems like it's potentially a bloody good idea. It's a good way to beat the market, follow the Pelosi's. Yeah, they've done very well. Yeah, so this is like 50 call options that Paul Pelosi has exercised, uh, which he, uh, he purchased in May 2022 and has now exercised those. He's kind of cashing in on those options. Oh, yeah. And since he's done that, obviously, can you imagine they've climbed 33% uh, in Apple shares and 29% in Microsoft shares. So that's another few bi uh, millions to add to the Pelosi's uh, coffers. It says here that buying and selling in Apple accounted for 17%, over 17% of the Pelosi's overall trading volume. And yet, during this same period, Pelosi held at least one private conversation with Apple CEO Tim Cook about the state of Apple and possible effects on the company from various pending bills to reform Silicon Valley. So, Eva, let me know in the comments which you think it is. Is Pelosi some kind of, like, two-faced Harvey Dent, schizophrenic figure, who's having one conversation with Tim Cook, oh, this is what we're going to be doing at Apple. She goes home, there's old Paul Pelosi. Who's this? He's a burglar. What is he? Who's this person in the Allegedly. house? Get him out of the door. I'll oh, bring him back in again. Allegedly. Get him back out again. Don't let him near the toolkit, for God's sake. She's, one minute she's with Tim Cook having a conversation about Apple. She gets home. Oh, what did you do again, Paul? Oh, you know, trading stocks and that. What did you do at work? Not much. Who to chat to? Tim Cook from Apple? What do you say? Mind your own business and I let that burglar back in the house! You're getting up a clump, son! Hey, I'm not saying that that's what went on. I would feel physically sick. If anyone assumed that that was my take on this ridiculous story. But given that we're living in a crazy old world where even Marco Rubio has admitted to being briefed firsthand. First hand on the retrieval of UFOs, it's impossible to know almost which way's up. There's a psychedelic revolution, there's a UFO revolution, the mainstream media is collapsing, its economic model is falling apart, centralist authoritarian models are doubling down as we told you yesterday. Elon Musk's real battle ain't with Mark Zuckerberg, it's with the censorship industrial complex. And remember, later this week we're going to exclusively, you should sign up for this, we're going to exclusively show you, me, Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger, and a very surprising special guest, perhaps the person who's been most impacted by the censorship industrial complex. You're not going to want to miss it. That's on Friday. It was a brilliant show yesterday. Although in some ways it was marred by the conduct of the man next to me, a man who swore he'd never take his top off, yet during yesterday's show did precisely that in a bizarre throwdown mm. to RFK. You, there's no, there's nout as queer as folk, as they say in the north of England, where you're of course from. I am, yes. Do you want to, should we get back to the Marco Rubio story? I don't, I never, <laughs> Gareth, I never left it. No, I've no, I've been no. looking at Marco Rubio, I'm mm. looking at him now, look at his little face, he's squinting, he's got a, a very full mouth. What did he call him? Little Marco. That was Trump's. <laughs> <laughs> Little Marco. But he's got, he got a hell of a mouth on you him. You made an observation about the plants inside and outside of his house. They, uh, this is an important observation. Mm. You Don't get distracted, because I know you lot, you think that the UFO stuff's a distraction. Don't you? Let us know in the chat. I think he's epochal. I think he sees me. I'm friends with Jeremy Corbell. I believe these whistleblowers are legit. I believe some of this new footage is legit. We're going to be talking about this later in the coming days, about how this story is escalated. But I know a lot of you think it's a distraction. Well, the real distraction in this piece of footage is the plants outside the house are exactly the same as the plant in the house. Mm. And the plant in the house is communicating, in my, possibly via UFO technology, oh, wow. 
with the plants outside the That's house. That's your exclusive. That's everyone. your exclusive. Never mind mud wrestling with RFK. Never mind that we're going to have a world showering exclusive coming up. Can I even can I even bring it up? No, I'm not about sure. About exclusive no, guests. Can I message that person? I'll give it away. Give it away. I can't do it. We're not ready yet, but you are going to want to be a member of Locals. Press the red button by the time that happens. Let's have a look at Marco Rubio's plants communing. I would say there are people that have come forward to share information with our committee over the last couple of years. I would imagine some of them are potentially some of the same people that perhaps he's referring to. I want to be very protective of these people. A lot of these people came to us even before these protections were in the law for whistleblowers to come forward. So people who have had first hand okay so that seems credible the whistleblowers had addressed him even prior to the story breaking yeah. well just i guess his point is it's not just like whistleblowers with very little clearance these are people with high clearance these are people that he's saying you know have been briefed that josh hawley another senator as well said um whistleblowers report is pretty close to the information he received in a briefing that's the one from david grush uh, that we reported on last week. So more and more people in positions of power are coming out and saying there is a lot of you know credible sources to They're cross-referencing the data and it's stacking up. That's interesting. Now, also keep your eyes on that plant. The one inside <laughs> wants to communicate with the ones outside. And I think it's important. It's like when you see a pigeon at a zoo. Mm. You sort of think, well, I can just leave what I want. Now, does you claim to have first-hand knowledge of seeing this type of thing? Or, or have first-hand knowledge or, or first-hand claims of certain things? Uh, some are public figures, you know, and, and we've heard from them in the past. Others, um, you know, have, have, have not shared publicly. So that category of people who have first-hand knowledge, who say they have actually seen these kinds of things, do you find many of them credible? Well, I don't find them either not credible or credible because we have no basis about understatement. Yeah. Not credible or credible. Mm. Not incredible or credible. Somewhere in the middle of that. <laughs> Yeah. That's actually not achievable. That's right. like a Buddhist koan. What's the sound of one hand clapping? Well, Bart Simpson answered that. But what is uh, neither credible nor incredible is the unknowable, activated nothingness that mm. is behind all material reality. This exclusively from Marco Rubio and his animated plants. You can obviously see why a lot of, I think probably a lot of our audience are talking about this being a distraction. It is interesting that it's coming about at the same time as all the things going on with Hunter Biden and lots of other news stories. Obviously the situation with Ukraine, the continuing arming of of Ukraine through the military industrial complex, you can see why that's something that they would be interested in. Like I sent Hunter Biden's book, I guess that's why I feel sorry for Hunter Biden, that ages ago when he had a book coming out, they sent the book and, oh, would you like to talk to Hunter Biden? And I thought, oh, they can't watch our shows because, like, they would know that we are quite critical of yeah. the Biden administration. But then I also am conflicted because I know he's a person that's trying to get into recovery and sure. stuff, so I get but, confused. But they're separate situations, aren't they? Someone's recovery from, you know, drug addiction is a very different thing to potential tax evasion or bungs or a bribery or whatever else it is or even if it's just using bungs bribery evasion right you know guns sure uh, i mean guns i guess you could say in That's some way it's, it's slightly you know i gotta have some drugs i'm gonna need a gun i ain't paying my taxes i'm on drugs yeah but you know when you're in a situation where you, like it's been suggested he's sitting with his father telling energy companies in china or russia or where or ukraine wherever it is that they're going to need to pay them for this and that we've got the best access and the Bidens are the best at doing everything. That isn't a situation where we should be talking about the President of the United States. Is that's too mur When we talk about Donald Trump being murky and having these deals and having these documents, mm. and we're talking about 
Biden is meant to be the complete opposite to that. You're right. This is a, a very uh, murky and embarrassing situation. It is murky. And potentially illegal. I mean, I think that's what we're getting at. These beyond, this is beyond murk. This is the law. Murk, that's just a <laughs> thick liquid. Mm. A thick liquid or vapour. But this is the law. Listen, I know you're enjoying this on YouTube, and I bet you can't wait to see our take on YouTube taking down another RFK video. Thankfully, RFK is affiliated now with the Rumble family. Another video taken down. Soon, RFK and I are going to be mano a mano mm. in combat of the body and mind, raising, I hope, a lot of money, particularly once I start my steroid program, <laughs> in a pull-up contest, all money donated to his campaign. Got to support RFK. He's a truth teller. Anyway, we're going to be talking about this in more depth, but only on Rumble. I need you to click the link in the description right now. Join us over there where we're going to get into this. It's some, some depth, as a matter of fact. There's going to be a lot of free speech, a lot of free speech. You're going to love it. So click the link. Join us over there right now. Now, RFK has been bloody well censored. This is an escalating attack. This is... The censorship industrial complex is exactly what me, Matt Tybee, and Michael Schellenberger are talking about on our show on Friday. You're not going to want to miss that. There are a set of unelected interests, some state, and still somehow they've bypassed democracy, some private, that plainly have an agenda. The EU are introducing laws that are going to allow them to ban Twitter unless Twitter comply. Fining Twitter and any social media platform for up to 6% of their turnover. That's undoable for a global corporation. They're hitting them right where it hurts, right up the minerals, right up the nuts. They cannot countenance that kind of loss. Even Elon Musk, a figure who's fighting for freedom of speech, I know many of you think that, let me know in the chat if you agree. Let us know, all of you, let me know. Is obviously unwilling to, he says, you know, if it's made law, Twitter will obey the law. And of course, a CEO of a country, or a company, same thing these days, isn't it? Can't go, can't say, no, we're gonna break the law. They're not actual freedom fighters. They no, have to especially if they've been, as you say, been threatened with being banned in the whole of Europe. I mean, that's a, that's a massive deal for Elon Musk. But where do they get this power? Where do they get the power to ban whole corporations? Well, I don't remember voting for any of these people. I don't know, maybe I've misunderstood something. Anyway, it's obviously RFK is a... They're Mick Ross. They're pretty effective at <laughs> making laws and rules. How did they do it? A lot of those things weren't even legislative, weren't they? They were just regulatory, and they just sort of treated them like laws somehow. And all manner of measures were sort of introduced. Oh, we're going to be using this face-scanning technology. Oh, we're just going to keep a record of your vaccines. Oh, it's just going to be helping you. Yeah. But we, we were cynical throughout. The issue here with the uh, EU thing is interesting, isn't it? It's because it is a similar kind of thing to the pandemic. It's this emergency laws situation that's kind of being passed now. Emergency laws, this time on the internet. We've done emergency laws during the pandemic we've done emergency laws with regard to the ukraine war that's how this con their spending is continuing despite the debt ceiling issue and now we're seeing emergency laws being passed on the internet and that's why elon musk is having to go along with it we're in a perpetual state of emergency i suppose emergency is often the precursor to regulation once we're all terrified once we're afraid we often welcome authoritarianism uh, let me talk to you a little bit about this the video that's been taken down uh, it was an interview with... with, with, with what? He's a former New York Post reporter. So what did he say? The episode marked the launch of a podcast in which Kennedy, an environmental attorney and presidential aspirant for 2024, discusses an array of subjects 
from his medication, his meditation routine, not his medication routine, that would have been much more <laughs> That would have been the problem, and that's actually the irony with this, is he wasn't talking, well, it seemingly wasn't talking about that. How has he got that upper body strength? That's what I want to know. I'm not going to yield to him in this pull-up contest. Routine, uh, his meditation routine, his ambition of overhauling federal health agencies, that would be a bit more of a problem, sure. and the Democratic Party, that's going to be an issue. The conversation traversed numerous topics, other issues covered included handling environmental concerns, and the middle class, because I suppose ultimately, this is, I suppose, what's fascinating. As these centralist and authoritarian forces further coalesce, it's not just going to be what once were regarded as vulnerable demographics that are penalised. It's increasingly going to be a situation where, unless you are directly participating in the elite establishment, either as one of those institutions, a high-up member of it, or one of their bureaucratic assistants or aides, they're coming for you. I remember when Greenwald said that thing, that this is no longer the time of the plutocrat philanthropist throwing dollar, bill, dollar bills from their limo as they pass. Now they're doubling down with AI and robocop dogs and preparing for a time of draconian control. And you can see that bureaucratically, you can see that in new laws that are being introduced around protest, the ability to surveil, the ability to censor. That's why this censorship industrial complex show that we've done, me, Matt Taibbi and Schellenberger, is important. I believe we've got a graphic for that. Can we just see that briefly? A bit of a drag graphic. This is it. Oh, we have, is it. It's not animated. Is it still? It's animated. Let's have a look at this. But before we see this, if you don't know about bad graphics, Jack, he's a very bright young man. And I like him a great deal, actually, on a mm. personal level. Him. I love our young team of brilliant uh, young creators. Um, but uh, you cannot vouch for the quality of their work. <laughs> you just cannot. Let's, ha let's have a look at this now. Censorship Industrial Complex. Again, no colour palette, no consistency anymore. Kennedy made noteworthy remarks concerning censorship. We're back to the Kennedy interview now. A topic he himself encountered on platforms such as Instagram and YouTube. He opined that if elected president, he would engage with tech giants to explore ways to put an end to what he perceives as the un-American practice of censorship. RFK, the person I will be texting directly about our Taibi and Schellenberger special. Also, I want to get inside his head a little bit before the pull-up competition. With literal regard to what Matt Taibbi from there, uh, something he mentioned that him and Mark Schoenberger started was this virality project, which he is, is talked about a lot, this cross-platform information sharing program led, for, led by Stanford University. So this was relating to uh, RFK, as we've just been talking. The virality project, if a person tells a true story about someone developing myocarditis after getting vaccinated, even if that person was just telling a story, even if they weren't saying the short caused the myocarditis, the Variety Project just saw that post that may promote hesitancy. So this content was true, but politically categorised as anti-vax and therefore misinformation untrue. And essentially that's what's happening now. When you get a situation where RFK doesn't seem to matter what he says anymore, he's been put in that box of this is untrue and therefore he needs to be removed. What's in the box? <laughs> what's in the box? Well, in the case of RFK, almost everything he says is deemed to be put in the box marked censored, as we've just discussed. We'll be talking about that more with Schellenberger and Taibbi on Friday. You're not going to want to miss that. It streams live at the usual times. Hey, what's in that other box? What's in the Trump boxes? What is he rifling through like a little old garden, like a, like a little garden gopher? Donald Trump said, he's a secret, he's a secret. He's banged to rights in this one. But what's more important, the fact that there's plans for a war with Iran 
or the fact that he is sharing classified information. This is a take on that story that's going to help you understand it. It's going to give you what I would call pub and barroom knowledge so that you can converse easily with the doubters and the haters. Here's the news. No. Here's the effing news. <laughs> Mainstream media are excited because they have audio of Trump sharing the contents of those classified boxes, which reveal that America was planning a war with Iran. Guess what they're more excited about? <laughs> Donald Trump, it has now been somewhat proven, let me know in the comments if you agree, did share the contents of those classified boxes. I mean, you can hear him doing it and admitting all the time, they shouldn't be doing this, but have a look in there, look in there. Isn't it also significant and interesting that the contents of those boxes reveal that there was a plan to go to war with Iran. What do you think is going to have a bigger impact on your life? Let's listen for ourselves. See if Donald Trump really did share classified information. It does seem like he did. Evening, we begin tonight with breaking news. We have obtained what is expected to be a central piece of the government's case against Donald Trump. The actual audio recording, recording... Because it was an audio recording. Free blood, boys. Free blood, boys. See how they read. See how they Of the former president talking as if he's showing a highly classified document on U.S. war plans against Iran with people not clear to even know it exists, let alone what's in it. They're missing the point once again. Doesn't everyone basically think that presidents and high-ranking politicians have access to classified information and in private communicate this information? Don't we all just basically assume that Trump revealed to us the essential nature of power, as Dave Chappelle memorably said in his SNL speech? He was the president that said, you know all the stuff you think we're doing in there? We are doing that stuff in there. I know the system is rigged because I use it. I said, God damn. So once again, they're doubling down on the idea that Trump has been caught out sharing the contents of a box that's ultimately meant to be classified, that he said he kept golf shirts in and golf tees and all sorts of golf stuff in. Isn't it more interesting, more significant, more of a condemnation of systemic power and the state of the world we're in, that within those boxes were the plans for the US military to engage Iran in war? Isn't that more likely to affect your life, my life, the state of the world? Why are we talking about the personality rather than the principle? Why are we talking about minor transgressions like the revelation of classified information, which, are, you know, if that's wrong, that's wrong. Let me know in the comments if you think it's wrong. But is it as significant as US plans for war with Iran? What of the past 20 years has had a bigger impact on you? The revelation of state secrets, think of the most memorable one, WikiLeaks, which just told you there were loads of illegal murders that went on in all those Middle Eastern wars. Or has it been the Iraq war, the Afghanistan war, wars reaching back, the current war, whether it's financially how it impacts you, emotionally, spiritually, the fact that it kills people all over the world, Americans and of other nations. What's the biggest story here? And why are the mainstream media not interrogating this aspect of the story? Let us know in the comments. In a moment, only on CNN, you will hear what jurors will hear one day. CNN's just trying to make itself sound super important. Like Anderson Cooper, we have obtained these important documents that basically don't really mean anything, really. I mean, you all know that Trump's doing stuff like that, don't you? Do you think that Joe Biden's not doing enough stuff like that? Then you hear the text message where Hunter Biden says, I'm sat here with my dad, you better pay me properly, Zheng, or whatever. You saw that. We all know that there's such a thing called nepotism. We know that there's such a thing called cronyism. We know that Nancy Pelosi presumably has access to information that make her husband's investments more successful. You can't do someone for being corrupt in a corrupt system. It's the wrong problem. I mean, the fact is, last time we had an audio recording of him, you remember what he was saying then? In a way, 
He's improved. At least he's talking about politics and stuff rather than the P word that it was last time. You will clearly hear the former president as he is speaking to several people. These are bad, sick people. That, but, that was your coup, you know, against you. That's well, it started right at the Like when Millie's talking about, oh, we're going to try to do a coup. No, they, they were trying right. to do that before you even were sworn in. That's right. Trying to overthrow your life. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll, I'll show you an example. That's funny. He's just in a rudimentary way going through those kinds of, no, that's one of my golf shoes. Oh, no, that's a five iron. Don't need that. Ah, there it is. Millie saying that they want to go to war with Iran. Now, of course, if they agreed upon law is the president's not supposed to reveal classified information, then he's back to rights, it sounds like, unless that's a very good impersonation of him. But isn't it sort of more interesting, important, epochal, and likely to affect your life, oil prices, stability of the world, if America plan another bloody war in Iran? He said that I wanted to attack Iran. You can hear him doing it. I think you've got him banged to rights. A man was found next to a murdered body. He had the knife in his hand. Thirteen witnesses had seen him stab the victim. When the police arrived, he said, I'm glad I killed the bastard. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record. But That's off the record. And that should have it then. That's fine. Off the record. They presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. We looked at something. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. All sorts of stuff. Pages long. Look. Wait a minute. Let's see here. So blatantly going through secrets. Imagine them all spread out on the floor. Secrets here. Filled with his nuggets. Another secret there. Oh, bit of secrets. Isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm -hmm. Except it is like highly confidential. <laughs> I didn't know that they were secret. In the tape, he says that he knows it's confidential. This is secret information. <laughs> look, look at this. You attack. And Hillary would print that out all the time. You know. <laughs> she'd, send it, no, she'd send it to yeah. Anthony Weiner. It's like exactly how you imagine it. This is the problem with using this to attack Trump. I mean, of course, if there is a legislative angle and he ultimately ends up incarcerated, of course, that's successful. But that's just Trump being Trump. And I feel that the problem that it highlights is, oh, yeah, you know the system that, you know, is corrupt and you know that there's sort of secret wars that are economically undergirded and then they sell it to you as being a moral humanitarian war. Well, this kind of shows that all happening. And even in the tape, it's sort of almost more damaging to Hillary Clinton because they pretend that they're sort of above all that stuff. We're proper people. We're grown-ups and we're serious. This guy is joking the whole way through it. Everyone does it. I use those loopholes. There wouldn't be a war. It'll be over in 24 hours. You can't attack Trump there. I'm even giving them strategic advice. I'd say that if your agenda is to bring down Trump, don't bring down Trump using stuff we already sort of know about Trump and people have already decided they don't care about. That's the problem. The problem is that in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. You're still attacking him on the basis of something that isn't regarded as a problem but almost an asset by the way is that incredible though? yeah i was just saying because we we're talking about it <laughs> and he, he said he wanted to attack iran and what and he said it it. Oh, this was done by the military given to me uh, i think we can Probably, yeah. I think probably right being used this to win an argument. I don't know if you can, Donald. I feel like it's classified. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to figure out a, a, yeah. see his personality.
president, I could have been less. Yeah. Uh, now I can't. You know, but this is yeah, classic. Yeah. There's a secret. Oh, there's that's a secret. This is a secret. These are all, these are secrets. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so cool. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a pajama party of secrets. This is one of my favorite secrets. I like that secret. Which secret shall it be? I'll choose the one to marry me. Alexandra D in Greece. And you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, I believe. It's incredible, right? No, hey, bring some, uh, bring some jokes in, please. Look at that. So, in response to the sort of chilling statement that the military-industrial complex have never met a war they didn't want, what is Donald Trump's response? Where would he go with that? They've never met a war they didn't want. They are a machine built for war. Their economic model requires war. This is the swamp that you claimed that you would drain. The swamp that everyone, Democrat, liberal, Republican, conservative, traditional or progressive, agrees needs draining. What's Donald's response? Hey, bring some, uh, bring some jokes in, please. I mean, it is, after all, the real thing. We knew about this. You've seen in first reported that this existed and that Jack Smith's prosecution had it in their hands. But to hear it, I think, really just drives home. But it's not that important that they're engaging a different sense. You've seen it written down and now you've heard it. Well, what's next? A lunchbox with it on. It's not Jurassic Park merchandise. Either it's corrupt or it isn't corrupt. Either it's significant or it's not significant. No one's going to watch it and go, what? Oh, I like Donald Trump, but now, now that I've heard him rifling through those papers like a mouse, oh, that's put me off him. The reporting on the story reiterates that problem. Why are they not saying, I mean, it's obviously a matter of concern that it appears there are secret plans to go to war with Iran. And of course, there are comparable stories within the Democrat Party and comparable stories of corruption. And obviously, there's no point in us continually focusing on Trump and saying, Trump's worse, Trump's worse, Trump's worse. Because loads of people, about half, think Trump's better. Why not do something about the system itself, whether that's the system of government or the system of media reporting? The issue stems from Trump's apparent frustration with what he claimed was a false narrative being pushed by the press that after losing the 2020 election, under the advice of then-Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu... You're always going on about Benjamin Netanyahu. Let it go, Lynn. You're never going to meet him. And the coterie of Iran hawks he'd surround himself with, Trump was dangerously close to ordering strikes on Iran that could have triggered full-scale war and had to be talked down from it by chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley. But the former president maintained the reality of the situation was the exact opposite, that it was Milley and the Pentagon who were pushing an attack on Iran on a reluctant Trump and that the classified documents he'd kept were proof of this. Well, that does seem more likely, doesn't it? And again, as a person that has no belief in the bipartisan system or American globalist corporatist democracy that is currently set up, it seems to me that the bigger issue is there were plans for a war with Iran that the military-industrial complex in the form of General Mark Milley were pushing for rather than the rather unsurprising news that Donald Trump excuse me, kept a bunch of boxes and showed them to his mates. It's exactly the sort of thing I've always assumed Trump would do. And then have a Coke when someone says war is inevitable. He goes, yeah. This comes in the midst of years of ratcheting up tensions between not just Iran and the United States, but maybe more dangerously, Iran and Israel. That is dangerous. The latter's government has been pushing the Biden administration to take a more aggressive posture toward Iran for years. Perhaps the real problem here, as well as taking Trump out as an electoral candidate, is do they see him as a threat? Are they still using that crazy Pied Piper strategy of putting attention on Trump so you can't get any momentum behind the Sanders? I don't know, because I don't consider that to be the most important thing in American political life. What is evidently important is the potential for agitation for another Middle Eastern war after the wreckage, carnage and 
disaster of the Iraqi war, the Afghanistan war, the current ongoing terrible conflict between Russia and Ukraine, which you don't have to pick a side on because I'm on the side of peace, baby. Check out my shirt. But what we can agree, it seems, is the peace deal was on the table, that Putin was willing to sign it. And you can say that's Russian propaganda. We've got to pick our way through a hell of a lot of propaganda here. And American interests and UK interests agitated for ongoing conflict. Would there be any reason for that? Well, sort of seems like they benefit from it and their entire economic model requires it. Let me know in the comments. The existence of US war plans for Iran suggests it wouldn't take much for Israeli attacks to draw the United States into yet another disastrous war, particularly if Iran retaliates, particularly if it winds up killing Americans in the process, whether intentionally or not. Iran's deepening alliance with Russia could draw Moscow into the war, turning the country into the second front of a global proxy battle between two nuclear superpowers, the United States and Russia, while adding a third nuclear power, Israel, into the volatile mix. Now that's only a take, and that's only speculation. But given the current geopolitical tensions, the fact that there is a war between Ukraine and Russia, given that the reporting on that war does seem to contain a great deal of biases, given that it appears there is agitation for a conflict with China around Taiwan and the semiconductors, you have to take this seriously, not least because there's a box of evidence that Donald Trump is rifling through like it's a family photo album at a post-wedding do. So tell me, what's more important to you? The fact that Trump has broken the law by taking classified information when he's no longer in office and indeed apparently sharing it with other people, or that it contains plans for a future conflict with Iran, even including a much more realistic and present danger for escalating and ratcheting up tensions between Israel and Iran. These seem to me to be global problems rather than legal technicalities or illegal technicalities or stories that exist well within what we all expect of Donald Trump, whether we like him or not. That's the crucial detail. I think people that love Donald Trump, this is just Trump being Trump. The people that don't like Donald Trump, oh, you bastard. But the reality is, the reality is, there are much more important issues that it appears we're being distracted from. And even in the reporting of this story, why are the mainstream media not interrogating the contents of the boxes and the implications for the world if there is a plan for a war with bloody Iran? But that's just what I think. Let me know what you think in the chat. See you in a second. to Football is Nice with me, Russell Brand, and Gareth Roy, and what a fantastic conversation I anticipate today. We're going to be talking about transfers and the usual craziness that, tra that surrounds the transfer season. Silly season, <laughs> I mean, Redknapp would call it. Uh, we'll be talking about transfers as they once were in more innocent times, and we'll be talking about Stormzy's acquisition of another football club. Football club. Could it be the next Wrexham? Is it going to be mm -hmm. on Amazon Prime? As well as... In a, in a way, we're placating uh, Gareth Roy by talking about Hull City, which is the football team and town city that he uh, supports and is indeed from. Thank you very much for, our, uh, for all your comments about Simon Jordan. We'll be going through some of those in a minute, but it's nice to welcome back you, Gareth. Yeah, I miss uh, you. Go on, Simon, every week. Not every week, Not Simon, every week. That's, like, that's a lot, because remember, I'm one of those people that's a bit like Simon Jordan, sort right. of intense yes. sort of thing, and then, like, while I'm being that, there's another one of them there, yeah. it's a lot to deal with. I know. It's intense. I mean, I, li I literally know. You, oh, because you deal with me every day. <laughs> 
Frankie, best conversation I've heard about football, valid points from both. What I did enjoy about the conversation is we thought, I, I, I suppose the nature of the discourse, if I can use such a grand word, was I was saying the problems in football emanate from its ongoing commodification and commercialization, and it at some point it will kill the goose that lays the golden egg, which mm. is the romanticism, tribalism, populism, beauty and grace that somehow... Uh, it, it enshrined and interwoven within the game and Simon I suppose says that it doesn't really think that's true although we sort of tended to agree on quite a lot of the most fundamental principles like if Saudi Arabia keep buying up players they'll end up being the league there mm. if you keep having disproportionate power teams like Man City yeah. that you'll end up having a Super League what do you think about that general argument mate? I guess it's like what is the line isn't it you know you, you think what what's the I mean obviously we had the World Cup where there was so much talk beforehand of you know should it be staged there the issue with the workers people dying um people like gary lineker saying all sorts of things people not showing the uh, you know networks not showing the opening ceremony there's all of that and yet it became one of the best world cups in history i think you could argue some of the yeah. best games ever in the history of the international game um and so there's a tendency after something like that to kind of feel like it's literally, it can accommodate anything. It can it could be put on the moon and it would accommodate that. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I think in terms of formatting, you could well see a time where maybe that 45 minutes could be broken up. Who knows? I just wonder what's the thing where people, I mean, obviously we saw it with the Super League, didn't we? When then the Super League was going to start, fans rebelled uh, and ultimately that movement was crushed for the time being. You wonder maybe what what is the point that are they just trying to incrementally get to the same place anywhere just in a slightly slower fashion i reckon and ultimately they'll just reconfigure their plan pivot slightly and as you say execute the same idea there must be something in football's essence that is pretty foolhardy for it to as you say endure even the overt commodification that the our world cup particularly exemplified although on reflection, I would say that the West moralising yeah. about Qatar is ultimately a, a disingenuous and, what do I want to say, Occidental and almost, you could go so far, say, a supremacist stance. Well, this is, again, it's, this is one of the things I love about football, is it provides a lens through which we can analyse world affairs. The kind of neoliberal establishment will use its overt virtue signalling around mm. cultural issues to point out that, oh, we're different than them. But what I suppose a counter-argument is, is, hold on a minute, you're, this is an imperialistic and exploitative game from nations that have colonised and exploited the world, even and specifically the region of, that is known as the Middle East, where you're making these kind of judgments from yep. even now. And top of that, there's the hypocrisy of still doing the bloody event there in the first place, and indeed individuals that spoke out attending. Not showing the opening ceremony was a proper cake-and-eat-it move. Yeah, you know, we're agree. willing to make sacrifices, but not sacrifices that mean anything and therefore not sacrifices their gestures and yeah, yeah the, the problem wasn't morgan freeman and his hand was it wait a minute <laughs> as long as we don't show morgan freeman in his hand then we'll be fine <laughs> the issue with the 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 united arab emirates and its richness <laughs> in fossilized fuels is morgan freeman's hand <laughs> not to get too uh, political necessarily but we've talked recently about the way in which cnn and msnbc said that they won't show 
Trump's post arrangement yeah, speech, thing. and it's like, well, after like years of profiting from Trump and then pushing all the Russiagate stuff and all that, then you're going to say, well, this bit we're not going to show, but we'll continue talking about it in the rest of the time. And we'll continue bundling up your data and selling it more even than porn sites do. We will report on Russiagate in a biased and insubstantiated mm. way. Essentially, the mainstream media cannot claim to be doing anything for a moral reason. And that's whether it's talking about like matters within football or matters within news and politics, because they don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to that set of criteria. Mm. I would guess I'm on more, more on your side than Simon Jordan in that respect. Oh yeah, that's right. Because right. yeah, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to bring up. Because what I wanted to say is, is that the thing that's romantic and beautiful about the, about the game, at some point surely will be extinguished. And I wanted to talk more about, like this is what I said in the end, because you know he's like Simon Jordan, he's hectoring, he won't shut up. I think I do listen in the end, don't I? Yeah. Thanks. Like, like, so like, like he, uh, like there's a bit, well, in the end I just sort of basically shouted, I think, the same as this happened in Saudi Arabia, that, that you should put as part of a manifesto, if we are elected, we will reclaim and renationalise all British football clubs and then return ownership to the community. Now I know that's like, in some ways, a preposterous suggestion because it would be, what, hold on a minute, these uh, economic entities, these commercial b businesses that have been acquired in some cases by nation states, in other cases by big companies like FSG, and you know wh wherever they're owned, you're saying you're going to seize these assets. But that is what happens. Mm -hmm. Like you know, that's you know, in Saudi Arabia, I'm sure they purchased them. But what about with the you know when the when we uh, privatised all of our municipalities, like the gas and the water and the electricity, all those things have been built by taxpayers' money. That means we owned it. Then they sold it back to us as privatised commodities. So I don't think it's absolutely ridiculous. And the reason I'm saying it is because, of course. That's part of an earth-shattering model or an economic-shattering model because, of course, then it's like, well, are you going to pay the players in the same way? Or sure. It's all going to totally fall apart. Yeah, it all because it's, it's an attempt to sort of popularise ideas uh, and, and also a sort of a Trojan horse for numerous other ideas, but bringing them into the heart of the popular entertainment arena, I mm. suppose. Like, you would own Liverpool, you would own Ipswich, you would own, like, you know, the community would run it electorally, then you would elect a board, you'd run it that way, you'd have to look at what, you know, obviously, you know, the commercial and broadcast partners are all going to fucking drop out the minute you do something like that. Because even when someone like Jeremy Corbyn, who was like a left-wing politician who was for a minute in our country, was like our Bernie Sanders, but he became the leader of the party. Like, people were like, we're pulling out, we're not going to have that kind of stuff, you know. But all of that is revealing that whole process of, like, the broadcast, right, we'll broadcast it ourselves then. Or what it would do is it would be seismic, it would be an incision for something that just seems sort of quite populist. It creates a sort of waves of, of kind of beautiful chaos. That's why I like it. I know it's mad, though. Yeah, no, it, I mean, as you say, it would mean fundamentally change, changing all the apparatus around it as well in order for yeah. that to work. There's so many things that will be affected by that. And I was literally just thinking about Declan Rice and his kind of ascendancy and how amazing Declan Rice has become, the fact that all, both these clubs, Man City and Arsenal, want to spend over 100 million quid on him at the moment. You'd probably say that without the money spent on West Ham, that they, then they can invest into their youth set-up that develops players like Declan Rice, that maybe one of the arguments would be, well, we wouldn't get players as good as that. And I guess that would be a good argument. But that's what I mean. Everything would have to Everything change. falls apart. Because yeah. aren't we at a point, though, where it's like, well, like, Declan Rice, understandably, I'm a West Ham fan, of course, like Declan, and thanks for them seats from Upton mm -hmm. Park. It's a really great present. I got Gareth got me for my birthday two seats 
from West Ham's former ground and beloved cathedral, Upton Park, a.k.a. the bowling ground, to buy seats from it after they smashed it to smithereens <laughs> to buy flats on it, basically for no reason other than money. <laughs> and, like, and anyway, I've got a couple of them seats now. I want to find out where they are. Perhaps over the coming weeks, we can locate exactly where they were, then find someone that sat in them seats, then bring them around and allow oh. them to do a little fart on that seat and say, there you go, what nice. comes around goes around. There was some chewing gum under the seat. I was there? I took that off because I thought... That's priceless. I could have had my own DNA. What if I'd already? What would have been my? That would be one of those beautiful stories if it was your own bubble gum. You know when you hear those stories? And do you know it was the very same person? You know those stories. Post this one in the chat, will you? Anyway, um, mate, like we've more parochially, like you get 105 million quid for Declan Rice. You know, like what are you going to spend? trying He's irreplaceable, essentially, a player of that quality. Maybe even if we get that lad out of Ajax, or we get James Wood Prowse out of Southampton, sorry, James. Or, Phillips, or, oh, right. Well, yeah, that starts to make a little bit of sense. But even then, it's sort of like for like, I mean, what's the point? What's the point of it all? What's the point? Uh, or uh, Harvey Barnes out of Leicester. There's mm. like things that could be exciting about that money, but I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is, is like, uh, I hanker after a time where you might have. Billy Bonds mm. or you know even Mark Noble spend their whole career at a club this because why what is it what is it as I always like whatever subject you're interrogating what is it it's like them players are the representatives of a community we vicariously live through them and for a minute victory and loss is simple and makes sense with all the complexity within the game we want them to win that we don't want the other team to win it's all sort of manageable for a moment and yet you gain access through ceremony you gain access to emotions that are sort of deeper than on paper mm. you it, or elicit mm. i might cry i'm overwhelmed i'm overjoyed the moment that dave moyes dave moyes puts the medal around his father's neck it provides you with a kind of magic and when you reduce it all to numbers yeah. You're pulling, I, I can't help but think that sooner or later the thing itself will pull up. But I guess I'm not saying, why don't we go back to the days where they're wearing sort of big mad leather boots like loaves of bread and kicking around the human head <laughs> instead of a ball. Yeah, it's that argument, isn't it, that they always give with like technology and why these kind of big tech companies are have been allowed to kind of maraud around the world and colonise everything and everyone and the argument is always well it's progress what do you want you do not want progress this is why they should be allowed to kind of keep doing what they're doing and i guess but then there is a counter argument to that is well what price do we pay for that progress and could it be argued that it's not progress in every sense i don't actually even want progress because i feel that there are false markers of progress in medicine and technology that distract us from elsewhere stagnation moral spiritual stagnation and it would be nice if the the progress was not somehow uh i thought this phrase when visiting a very elite school recently where i noticed conversationally the phrase we're so lucky we're so lucky people kept saying they were lucky i know i thought uh privilege is hoarded luck and all this progress is it's contained it's contained yes there is progress of course you know you could it, like even you know when people hop back and say would the like a sort of team like Nottingham Forest who, when they had their two consecutive European Cup mm. wins would that Nottingham Forest team beat Man City you sort of think no because <laughs> like you know you imagine like the, like the Forest players was like Martin O'Neill whatever <laughs> like they were like properly probably drinking booze almost at half time and like these are athletes and the, like the, there's so many actual that that is actual progress their diet the use of technology those things like that that's all sort of 
Wonderful. But has some majesty been lost? Are we more connected to the game? The very fact that a club like Nottingham Forest was able to win the European Cup. It's not like what it depends what we have a quantitative perspective on reality rather than a qualitative perspective of reality. Yes. We can quantify and measure all things, but essence itself it cannot be measured. It can only be felt. And uh, like well, your point, Gareth, that in spite of everything, it's still magic. It reminds me, I've said this before because it's always saying I thought about a lot, like uh, Lester Bangs, the Rolling Stone journalist, wrote about seeing Elvis Presley towards the end of Elvis's life in Vegas. And he went to sort of take the piss, like, oh, Elvis Presley is no longer the king of rock and roll. He's this joke figure in a bejeweled wine gum covered jumpsuit doing karate kicks and that. And like Elvis comes out with him mad scarves and all that stuff. But he said that when Elvis sings, he said like his hair stood up on end and he shivered because that's there's something in that man. Yeah. There's something that he was able to convey. There is a there is a magic, there is a majesty, there is a beauty, there is an essence, and that's the reason to sort of argue for that being yeah. progress being made there as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean ultimately I think that magic does come from us. It comes from our relationship with those players, our relationship with our our own community. Yeah. Um, that's where it comes from. The, the, the progress is a side issue, you know. Where even whether or not players are technically better than what they used to be, you could say that the fans of Nottingham Forest with those two European Cup wins would have sh shared the same amount of joy as West Ham fans just did then or Man City fans have done winning the treble. You know, that's what uh, doesn't change. I like what you say that it's between us because mm -hmm. even to say with the Elvis example or the football example, the audience are participating. Yeah. You are not just passively sort of like, oh, like that. And that is more what's going to happen if the games are sort of... But he did say, Simon Jordan, that geography is irrelevant at this right. point because it's a broadcast medium. Of course they might, you know, you can envisage a time where games are being played in Qatar, games are being played in Malaysia. And then, and then I suppose, gosh, there's an argument for, well, why shouldn't it be? Why shouldn't it be? Why should they not own it? This is a global... Bit. And but I suppose the argument is because it's all for fucking money. Well, yeah, it's all for money. And it's, I guess... What we know is, because we know it's all for money, I think it's about, it's about what you're conscious of. Once you know that this is all for money, can you honestly enjoy the FA Cup final played in Qatar as much as you would it played in, in Wembley? Maybe, maybe you can, but I feel like there's some knowledge there. I mean, there is, is it the, um, the, the Spanish uh, Cup is now played, I think, in, in Qatar. And I've, is I've, it? Yeah, and I've it's watched it, happened, the Cup it? final. I think it's already happening there. Shit. And uh, you, you do watch it and think this does have a disconnect. And I guess kind of what I think about is nationalism is used when it's convenient, uh, but not when it's not convenient. Really? You know, so there's a, one way it was just like, no, nationalism is good, and that's why we go to war, and that's why we arm our military, and that's why we spend this on the nuclear this, and, and that's what, you know. But then when it's, oh, no, it's convenient for us commercially, nationalism isn't a thing, and everything, the game should be played all over the world, and it's about embracing different cultures, and this, that, and the other. It's like, well, no, that's, you have to have a principle. You have to have, well, what is it? What, what is nationalism about? Groucho Marx's famous line, uh, those are my principles, and if you don't like them, I have others. <laughs> like that they'll just apply whatever principle is expedient to achieve the desired objective. One of the things we talk about a lot on here is the success of the Wrexham project, and I always try to extract my petty, personal jealousy <laughs> from, from my ability to commentate on it, and now my jealousy has once again been roused because uh, Wilf Zaha, the Palace player, and Stormzy, the uh, grime and hip-hop artists have acquired AFC Croydon. I guess Stormzy's from around there, I mm. suppose, is that right? And he's acquired Croydon 
Athletic, a three-person consortium comprised of Zaha, Stormzy and Danny Young's exchange contracts with the existing ownership of AFC Croydon to acquire the assets of the club. Now, like, there's going to be boyhood dream stuff, I'm assuming, there. And, like, again, when, I'm, I'm not... What's the point of judging? Because, really, the main thing it makes me want uh, is to buy a football club, right, which yeah. I've sort of wanted to do for ages. I mean, years. did you know that I tried to... When I wasn't good enough to be in the football team at school, mm. I... Started with football team. Did you know that about me? Not I started a football team. I've still got photos of wow. the football team. Put in the, lo got in the local paper. Dolly's uh, mice, <laughs> old clock parts. Uh, there was a leaf in goal. He was good. Very brave. He broke his neck in the cup final, but he played on. He played on with that broken neck. Uh, little Sabutio man. No, other lads from my year poached them out of like existing clubs like Grey's Tigers and Grey's Harriers, I think they were called. Wow. Like started start the franchise. Got a photo in the local boat. I am Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> I came in there with my dirty billions. Did you offer them like big contracts and things? How did they work? I did I think offer them some contracts. <laughs> like and I got a lot of good players. Like one from a low year, Jeff Lewis. He played Bugsy Malone in the Bugsy Malone where I was fat Sam. Good little actor, Arsenal fan. <laughs> cracking little cracking little actor, lovely player. How was he up front though? Not good. <laughs> Not good. Too much pressure. Bolted it. No, he was good at that as well. Wow. Oxy, he was in the team. David Evans, who I met recently yes, at an airport after dreaming about him. He yeah. was there in midfield. Very beautiful player. Classic player. Beautiful. But David Platt, like technical player. Didn't have too much pace, but very very skilled and industrious. What were you then? Were you the manager? Chairman, I'm not good manager. enough to be in the team. Right. So the reason I'm doing it to get my approval. <laughs> <laughs> what well, did you tell your dad about it? Yeah, I told him. <laughs> well, I'm the manager. What are you doing? Guess what, dad? I'm the manager of the football team. Well, good enough. What are you going to do, mate? Being gold. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got my old West Ham seats now. Up at my wellness area. <laughs> Finally, I've found my place in this world. I'm a man who does ice baths and sits in former seats at Upton Park, pontificating on the cultural meaning mm. of football, the effing meaning of it all. So, look, I suppose... I sort of wanted, but now because you want to Stormzy's done it and Ryan Reynolds has done it, at this point it's like I mean it's not McDonald's, it's not Burger King, right? It's wimpy. It? It's, it's bloody wimpy. wimpy in every sense. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a hamburger that's been made by your mum. Like a mum can I have a McDonald's. No, we're making McDonald's here. It's like a kind of <laughs> it's a bird's eye beef burger between two bits of hovis, but with ketchup on it, Tesco value ketchup being chopped down into on the on the City under a Superman bedspread, not even a duvet. Oh no. Yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I suppose, look, what it is, is you've just got to stay true to who you are and not worry about what's going on in the world and stay true to your principles that are somehow some bizarre collision between spiritual utopianism and a, and a kind of economic and political pragmatism derived from anarchism. Mm. I guess that's you have, what you've got to do. You have to do that. And I, I guess also you kind of hope that, like, these being, I guess Zaha must be local as well from, from Croydon. Right. So, uh, I mean, and also you can't begrudge Stormzy and Zaha and Danny Young there. No. And like, if they are local, so then you'd think, well, they want the very best for that club. It's not like a cynical move, is it? You know, it's, it is, I guess, 
Locals have done well taking the club back. Look, and this is not a critique on either the Wrexham project or this one, but the cynicism is baked in institutionally. Yeah. It's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. And I know that we all participate in that, whether it's with, with whatever, whatever endeavour we do. You know, we do this podcast because we love it. We know that on Rumble, primarily, our content has to be establishment attacking content that can attract people from the left and the right. And we're able to do that because we believe that both political parties are corrupt and unable to represent people. And we do this because we love football. But still in the back of my mind, I think, oh, we've got to grow the views. We'll have more people listen to it. What are the assets? What's our social media program? Are we optimizing correctly about it? Should the thumbnails be better? Is that graphic appropriate anymore? Should we do that jingle again? I'm like it. That's why I always sort of thought about myself. That's why I thought that I should be a participant in this crazy thing. I don't mean purchasing football clubs in this instance. I more mean a global revolution <laughs> is because I know what they are like. Mm. I know it. I know the flavour mm. of like that kind of egotism and that kind of urgency to kind of conquer and move forward. I understand it. I understand it. None of us are free of it. We, it's immersive. It is the aquarium in which we live. It's become our environment. That is Mark Fisher's uh, uh, dialectic on the subject. It's so immersive and totalitarian that you cannot n not be within it. And Courtney Love actually pulled me up on this because he used to use, he, uh, like who I'm friends with, he uses Kurt Cobain as an example. And I sort of said to him, I don't think he, he's like, he doesn't claim to understand Kurt Cobain in the manner in which you as his wife do or did, God rest his soul. But he's saying that the figure of Kurt Cobain almost represented a culture that understands its own, the sort of futile loop in which it's locked, yes. that nihilism and despair sells on MTV. Mm. And the more you decry the system, the more the system is able to present that as a product. Uh, like the famous Bill Hicks bit, um, like, um, uh, like he sort of says, like, uh, the, like he's quit putting a goddamn dollar sign on everything on this goddamn planet. Oh, the angry dollar. We can market that. That's a very useful market. You know, like that there's yeah. nothing that cannot be mobilized. The plasticity of the system is all immersive. And, and, and I guess that with, once you have that perspective, you can perhaps spend too much time bemoaning the, oh, Wrexham, though, isn't it just a Disney project? And maybe, maybe it's just easier to go, well, the people at Wrexham are happier, the football club's happier. But there's another point they raise is that I'd really like your take on, Gal. It's like that, isn't it mad? Because I brought this up with Simon Jordan fucking talk so much to the geezer. I'd love to talk to him again. I love him. I think he's fantastic, actually. But, like, I'm sometimes feel like, I've, no, I've got to get to what I actually mean, though. And, like, what I actually mean is, isn't it mental that you can have Conor McGregor fight Floyd Mayweather, you yeah. can have KSI, a YouTuber, fight Logan Paul, a YouTuber, both obviously very fit, potent fighters. Now you have the Wrexham team go over and play against, like, I feel like they maybe even played the US national wow. ladies and wow. beat them, like, you know. So now sport, the thing that, almost the defining thing of sport is it's meritocratic. It's like you, this team is in a division with this team. These are the best players. Now you can just go, in goal, it's Will Smith. <laughs> They're like just yeah. sort of casting it and like messing with the yeah. actual, again, the essence of it. And for me, I can't help but seeing this, something of the sort of post-modernity itself. Everything is falling apart. Yeah. It's a kind of madness. I think it's also the, maybe the speed at which it's happening. Uh, I mean, I... I, I read a, an argument for why, again, to highlight what you said about the hypocrisy around it, that, you know, there's all this talk about Saudi Arabia at the moment and its clubs buying up Premier League players. And you could argue that some of them are Premier League players who are coming towards the end of their careers, but you could also, some aren't. They're mid-career and, like, good players, and it just seems mad that they're going to Saudi Arabia. Watching this on Rumble, those players that are up there. Ah, um, here we go. 
And so, what's the the most notable one is um, a man from City there, Bernardo Silva, right? Uh, if if Silva goes, I think ne Neves has gone. Oh yeah, from Neves Wolves. from Wolves. He's like 25, 26, you know, very good player. Pre-peak football. Abs absolutely. Do you think there's a sort of, not racism ain't the right word, but like a kind of assumption that, you know, because it used to be America, right? It used to be like, for a minute, it was America. When you're past your prime, yeah. go America and have a sort of a payday holiday. Yeah. And then it was China for a minute, but it yeah. didn't quite catch on on Russia, China. It's had been Russia Russia's as well. had a go, have they? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, so what do and you think, Sally, Well, I just think, you know, from what I was reading, this person pointed out that, um, well, what, what we're saying that the Premier League, I mean, we all remember when the Premier League happened and the Sky money came in. And there was like a revolution for football. There was the point where Sky were even going to buy up Manchester United. You know, that, yeah. that deal, again, fans revolted against that. But it's not like it, they didn't try to do it. And now everything happens seemingly happening so quickly and these, these transfers are happening. And it, like you say, I can, I can see what you're saying about uh, the speed at which is happening. But maybe it's just something that's been happening at, at, for a, a longer period of time. We, we, it's hypocritical for us in this country to an extent to say, oh, I can't believe Saudi Arabia playing all these, paying all these players massive wages, when that's literally what we've been doing. We've been taking players from their countries of their origin, where they could have been plying their trade yeah. at the clubs that they were born, but we've literally paid them massive wages to wow. come over and make this yeah. Premier League what it is. Why shouldn't Didier Drogba stay Ivory Coast, mm. make Ivory Coast football spot on? Sure, so many examples of that happening that, you know, again, the hypocrisy factor of this is... Yes, okay, there's all sorts of ways we can say Saudi Arabia, this, that, and the other. But as we know, to go up to politics, America will keep uh, selling them arms. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's the same argument as the World Cup argument. You can't say it without, like, claiming that there's some sort of superiority, except, I suppose, in sporting terms, the Premier League is measurably, somehow, the best league, the best players, the best managers, the most money, and those facts, the facts of those... Uh, are co concomitant facts sure. is hardly a coincidence. Exactly right. But you're right, you can't m make a moral condemnation of Saudi Arabia and their attempt to use simply the pre-established means <laughs> to organise <laughs> their <laughs> own deal. Yeah. Like, well, you're doing this thing, we're doing it. You better not do it. There's sand everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> can't do that. There's petrol under the ground. But in the holy name of God. Um, worth tagging this Harry Kane to Bayern Munich. Again, because of my uh, baked-in prejudices, I don't think Bayern Munich is the right sort of club for Harry Kane because Bayern Munich is a one-club league. I know, like, Bayern Leverkusen or... Well, Dortmund nearly. Dortmund what? nearly this year. The last game of the season, they threw it, it away. Out threw goal. it away, Dortmund. So, so they just needed to win and they didn't. It's weird, isn't it, that? I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Because you, you, obviously an argument that is continually being made is that our, the Premier League is in danger of being capsized by uh, the superiority of Manchester City. And yet... At the end of the day, mm. only five points between them and Arsenal. Five choked points. But is that because they just needed to do enough? They can't down I mean, They afterwards. lost to Brentford. Was it last game of the season? Right. Yeah, they. I just feel like they got to a point so that, where even that like, five points ain't indicative. It's not fully. So that, uh, uh, then what I about the Bayern Munich thing? Then the thing about Bayern Munich again, and I don't know. Enough they, about, they won the last eleven or something. They 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 have, and obviously you know. They go play for a team that's won a lot. I mean that's like Harry Kane wants trophies, understandably, because he's a prime athlete. He's the the highest goal scorer this country's ever had for the national yep, team. Correct. He'll likely break Alan Shearer's record in the top flight if he stays. Yeah. So, oh yeah, if he stays, yeah, if he stays. So though, but sort of mentally, psychologically, 
to sort of solve the problem of not having won trophies mm. by going to a club that always wins trophies, in a sense, how, what kind of sense of what kind of personal achievement do you get from that? I don't know, but then where do you? I mean, Man City have won four out of the last five. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain, you could say that's definitely a, a, a one-team league. I don't, you don't want to kind of be offensive, but in terms of their might, they, they are. There are Barcelona and obviously Real and Barcelona vie between them at the moment, which is a good thing, although there's all sorts of stuff going on between Serie uh, A, great for Napoli to yes. win that. It seems that yeah. but, but because, actually... Italian football, because of corruption, has been... There's been a lot of interventionism, haven't mm. there, mate? Like Juventus bounced down a couple of leagues right. and stuff like that. So, in a sense, aren't we already seeing... Aren't we seeing... Isn't it, like, quite possible that someone, some erudite figure... So they should get someone like bloody Simon Jordan, actually, to head it up instead of having someone from J.P. Morgan. What would their interest be in this Super League? What do they traditionally do over at J.P. Morgan? Um, like... I mean, if the, couldn't someone come along and persuade you, look, if Man City, four out of the last five times, have won it, well, if, you know, Barcelona and Real, if even in Italy there's only a couple of teams that are capable of it, and by, to make the National Leagues more competitive, mm. doesn't it make sense to create this National Super League? They, or in, rather, this Global Super League. They think that the argument, the momentum of the argument, is self-evident through the figures. Yeah, I guess the thing with that is, I, I mean, that's a kind of cynical way of, uh, you're going to establish like a new, I don't know, is a dominant ten teams, and then what's going to happen to all the other teams? I mean, I don't they know. don't get to play because that's their. Then you're depriving. Final, yeah, it? right. Then it's like pulling teams out of their own national leagues. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is going that way. It's, it's, it is worrying to an extent. I suppose as a fan, it's how much do you want to hold on to, uh, you know, <laughs> tradition. I mean, what? How important is tradition that, I mean, a lot of people would say is extremely important. I agree. And in fact, that's the point we were making, you know, earlier in our chat. <laughs> Excuse me. And I know we basically agree. And the conversation I was having with Simon Jordan. So if we've established that principle that we don't want the natural migration to be towards an elite league, even though it's pretty plain that that's formatively already present, then there is a necessity for regulation. Well, some people say, is our regulation on transfer spending or wages or whatever, but that's just, that's too minor, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't even work. I mean, look at Chelsea. I mean, that's not even they, working. They're just giving players eight-year contracts. They so evade it. <laughs> exactly. So they can spread those transfer fees. That's why this podcast works for you. If you're an American who don't even know much about football, I mean, obviously when we start talking about Barry Fry, in a second you might become somewhat confused, but we're all confused by Barry Fry. Like, but isn't it the perfect model to understand reality? Oh, we're introducing some legislation to mm. prevent, for example, people in Congress trading stocks and shares. Oh, but what if their family member does it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be all right. <laughs> yeah. so that's passed it. Whenever there's regulation or legislation, it doesn't do the job that the rule was supposed to do. It just gives you the ability to say, we made a rule. Mm. You said that you wanted a rule. We beat Big Pharma this year. Is Big Pharma going to be meaningfully penalised or is there just a handful of drugs that are going to be regulated and the pharmaceutical industry will adjust to make other products profitable? They will still have the same lobbying power. They will still have the same donation power. <laughs> sorry. Yes, basically. And the same thing happens with football, like as Gal's just explained. Chelsea. Sorry. Wow. That's a record number. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm drinking a lot of butcher. I'm very excited. excited yeah. In some cultures, that burping is considered to be like a shamanic sort of transition. In mm. others, it's actually just it's bad manners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In our one is just actually a poor taste. I mean, 
significant amount of the air in this room now is my farts and burps, yes. isn't it? Yes, it We're is. We're living in my I farts. I can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just confirm. Um, all right, well, listen, in a sort of a, in a, a welcome pang of nostalgia, there's tea up dear Barry Fry, who was an old-school journeyman manager. I think he managed Peterborough, Southend. Yep. I know he managed for a while. And he's one of those figures who I think entered into the... When reality TV became a thing in our country, there was, like, you know, Big Brother, a show that I was a host of one of the sort of satellite shows of, and uh, there were weird reality shows like Driving School that followed <laughs> people being bad drivers, and, you know, it went on and on. And I feel that like that wasn't starring you as well, was it? I was it? a lady called Noreen <laughs> in that. And, I, and, and there was a... Like, oh, and I guess Barry Fry, I feel like became sort of a bit famous yeah. because was, I guess there was some sort of fly on the wall as they were known in our country documentary that followed him as he as he managed various football clubs. And I remember I used to love shit like this, and yeah. I'm not surprised that things like All or Nothing are just massive global products now, whether it's in for NFL or the EPL. Yeah. But people just love this stuff. Documentaries about football. What's not to like? What's not to like? Yeah. Heartbreaks, thrills, chills, it's everything you, mm. you want, isn't it? Insider information, mad pro, uh, quotidian details about people eating beans on toast, <laughs> Deli Alley specifically, and the Spurs won that one. I mean, it, it gives you so much, mm. like, it's rewarding. And, and in fact, you know, this Wrexham thing, I suppose, you know what it is, is like, you know, with that Wrexham thing, sort of thing like, I sort of might have nearly done that. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's not more beyond... about a missed opportunity, The missed it? opportunity is greed. <laughs> it's self-centred greed. That's what's motivating me right now. Let's have a look at uh, Barry Fry, because as we enter this frenzy of transfers, where Declan Rice might go to Arsenal or even Man City, which is just seems like ludicrous oh. stockpiling, just flinging him, flinging him like Come into on. a harem. Like, he might, they might as well just, like, eunuch him off and bang him up with, for a sultan. That's probably the kind of uh, Occidentalism that we're trying to prevent, <laughs> actually. But in any event, uh, this is, a, in a sense, a more innocent time, but in another way, a more disgusting time, where transfer deals were carried out with incredible bravado and uh, casual, lackadaisical Cockney slang. Next on his wanted list, the Wickham striker, Miguel de Souza. Oh, it's barely bothering to separate those words, is it? <laughs> How are you, mate? <laughs> it's like when someone plays a saw on a talent show. Like, Why am I? <laughs> He's in for some hard bargaining. Who's talking, you mate? Sean Bean. Sounds like Sean, Sean Bean. Bean. Yeah. Is that Sean Bean? Yeah. yeah. I think really we're looking at 850, 950. Now, look, I bet that's 2000 or something, and everything's so metal in 1997. So, uh, like, that might as well be 1950. <laughs> look at that geezer. You would never have a football agent no. like that now. That's an accountant. That's a local chartered accountant, that geezer. You couldn't have him now. They're all like people swaggering about in a silk shirt, <laughs> 50 million quid just arrive on a yacht like George Mendes, like powerful enough to get a whole Portuguese national team into one football club. Look at that agent there. He just goes home and has a Finder's crispy pancake, <laughs> doesn't he? Like, outstairs, like, like, on like, a chair from a garden centre. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, little tray. Well, I've got my little tray, actually, where I've done a good transfer deal tonight. What's that, love? I'll, I'll say no, I did a good transfer deal today. Oh, I'll expect an extra pancake for that, please, darling. Well, how about let's have an extra slice of that Wolves Vionetta? <laughs> oh, no, you all watch out for your heart. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you ain't gonna get that fucking, are you sure? But I ain't gonna get that. I'm Like what that's like what Declan um, yeah. 
Right, who I love, turned down 200 grand a week. Like, oh. West Ham is still run a bit mad by David Sullivan and his mm. bizarre Russian attire. He like sort of said like he like, just when we offered him two hundred grand a week last year, he never took it. That's he's going, he's going because while Declan was saying stuff like um, you know this, we'll see, we'll see, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. we're all like, oh maybe he's going to stay, maybe <laughs> you idiots. They have, I just want to believe this, so I'll believe it. No, like meanwhile David Sullivan just like briefing like the press directly, like, I think texting like Jim White, like he, we've offered him two hundred grand a week. He's going, he's definitely going. Six. Third year, six fifty plus ten grand for thirty goals. Down in the fighter factory. All competitions each season. Supposing you have a survival bonus. Love that survival bonus. We had like, a survival bonus, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? But George Mendes, I reckon, like the agents now, sports agents now, I reckon they actually get their penis and balls yeah. out during conversation. They're all balls and penises, all shaved, right. and they oil them up with like mm. some sort of like real sort of essential oils, like they might say, Don't put that on if you're pregnant or around certain pets. Right. They'll put that on their sandalwood or something. George Mendes gets that and does his shirt, I don't know. If you want this, if you want Nevis, you're gonna have to give us a seat in your parliament. Right. You did that with the Saudis? I say that he did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll just... Allegedly! No, I don't know if the press bat in the football is not a section. Because <laughs> I don't normally defame powerful figures <laughs> with insubstantiated, made-up stuff just for a laugh. Do you? I'll fucking love it. How much? We've got eight games. Yeah. How much? Ten grand. How much? Ten. How much? Ten. It's got to be money well spent. It is. Five. It is five. Lovely. Very Them good. were the days, weren't they? Very good. Simpler, more innocent times. And now transfers, like, for example, if you take Messi's transfer to, what is it called? Into in Miami. In Miami, yeah. David Beckham's into Miami. The MLS itself invests in the transfer. Messi is going to be able to start his own franchise after five, five years. Adidas, the sponsor of the league and the individual, I think, I think, are contributing to the transfer as well as the club. That's how complex it's become. It's recognised that the sport is not just we've got this little tribe and we'll be playing these other tribes. No, this is a commodity. The broadcast deal, you know, I think the broadcasters are paying him as well. It's wow. all folded in. It's acknowledged what the well, the reality of it is all you know, it's all sort of explicitly, uh, like, acknowledged in the deal. Hey, before we go into that, though, what's that Gary Neville on Dragon's Den? Is that yeah. real? I want to check that Guess out. 